With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Welcome to the sixth Brandel Chambly podcast with Jaime Diaz. We've been gone for a while, but it's, it's been uh, a useful uh, certainly absence for Brandel, and he, he gets a hall pass because he's really been working on his game and I appreciate that. doing wonderfully, uh, <laughs> qualifying for the Senior Open for the second year in a row. And we're going to talk about that. In fact, let's start with that, Randall. Um, you went out there and made it again, played at Royal Lytham, didn't have your best two days there, but just tell me again your, your re- reflections on, on this experience after qualifying last year at St. Andrews. Well, I enjoyed it, that's for sure. Um, you know, I went over to the Open Championship a week early, um, to tool around England, get out of the hot weather here in uh, Florida, and, and play a few practice rounds on the golf course that I was going to qualify on. Uh, the qualifying went well. You know, I didn't get to prepare. You know, the week of the Open as I did last year, so I was a little bit, uh, uh, let's say, skeptical about my odds of making it. But uh, when I got there, it was a golf course with you know pop bunkers on the right and pop bunkers on the left, and I managed to hit it pretty straight that day and make it. And then uh, I didn't play as well at Lytham. But, mm-hmm. but you know, there's there's something refreshing about being slapped in the face by this game and 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 finding out exactly what doesn't work. You know, I I've been tooling around with a few different things in my in my game and my golf swing, uh, and they didn't work. You know, I just didn't hit the ball as well. You know, last year I hit the ball pretty darn well at St Andrews, even though I missed the cut. Uh, I putted abysmally, um, but this year I didn't hit the ball as well at, at Lytham, and. It's funny, but while I was on the range one day, um, warming up, but sort of just going through the Rolodex trying to find a swing thought, Tom Watson was hitting balls right in front of me. It was actually Thursday morning. And I was watching his move, and I thought, you know, that's the way I used to, you know, he, he goes through the golf ball very different from a lot of golfers today who swing left and rotate a lot and hold angle and um, he's he you know he certainly hits hard with his right side and releases the club and the, the release goes down the line more and um, I thought you know I, that's that's the way I used to hit the ball when I was in college I finished much more vertically um, and I you know just, just sort of put it away and then didn't play well at Royal Lytham but but since I left Lytham my wife and I you know went tooling along up in Scotland or whatever and I sort of came back to that thought and my divots got shallower. I started hitting the ball higher and hitting it longer. So, you know, you, you never know where you're going to learn something or when you're going to stumble upon something that, that, uh, that might help you. And you know, I'm going to play a couple of events uh, on the PGA tour champions. I'm going to play at Pebble beach. I'm going to play at the ally challenge at Flint. I'm trying to get in maybe one or two more. And, and, uh, you know, just because I was on the range here that Thursday morning, I'm a little more, um, optimistic about the way I'm going to hit the ball, uh, later in September, October this year. So you never know when golf's going to give you these little gifts. But besides that, you know, Tom turned around and we started talking a little bit about horses. You know, he's obviously very much into cutting horses. And uh, I grew up uh, riding horses every single day of my life. So we talked a little bit about horses and boots and saddles and 
so forth. And Funk was behind me, Fred Funk, who's, who's always a good listener. So, um, look, I, en- I enjoy the whole process of trying to get out there and compete. Uh, I, as I said, going into that week, I was under no illusion that I was going to go out there and beat Bernard Langer. Uh, it's funny that I, you know, just, just chose Bernard Langer and then he went on <laughs> to win the darn thing. Um, you know, it'd be like, you know, I'm in a different, you know, it's like I couldn't beat Bernard Langer when I was playing golf every day. Uh, I'm not going to beat him when I play golf, uh, periodically, but, uh, but it's not to say that I can't go out there and try to be as good as I can be. And, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, enjoy the whole process, which I did immensely. Well, it's interesting that you learned something from watching Tom Watson. I mean, I've heard that this phrase from some teachers that golf's about remembering and forgetting. <laughs> well, and, it's and a, then remembering again. It's and, yeah. about rem- it's about remembering what you forgot. It's it's yeah. like literally. I mean, I doubt you could come up with a swing thought that well, every golfer hasn't tried out that plays the game for a living. You know, you try out every single swing thought, and and you know every now and then you'll stumble on something. You're like, you know, yeah, I used to do that. You know, and you can almost say exactly when you did it mm-hmm. and where you did it. Um, but that's that's really what this game is 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 trying to discover feels and then ride them as long as you can. Yeah, and it's great that you had the image of Tom Watson to sort of bring it to life. And yeah. I just wonder your reflections on his, you know, this is last senior open as he announced. Again, uh, I'm happy I was there. You yeah. know, I, the experience of, of being there was uh, very much um, enriching. I, I had no idea it was going to be his last, you know, he didn't say anything Thursday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hadn't read anything throughout the week. It's funny, you know, my wife Bailey and I, you know, we got up Saturday morning and we, we actually drove up to play Turnberry, but it was raining so hard we kept going and went all the way to Glen Eagles. Uh, and then when I got there, I think late Friday or excuse me, Saturday night, and I read it was going to be, I looked at Bailey. I was like, I almost want to drive back just to watch. Um, and you know, weather was so bad on that Sunday that they did a two T start. So he actually finished his open career out on the ninth hole. It rolled a ton of people. I thought that was one, which is way out tribute. It it, it was no question, but you know, it was like mother nature (laughs) needed, needed to come along for the ride there. But, uh, but you know, it's been a, been a heck of a career. He's always been, uh, one of my favorite players to, to watch play the game. And, um, you know, I he said afterwards that he played the game the right way, and yeah. and he did. I mean, I, I don't know that you could uh, sum his career up any better than that. You know, you go back and look. He played, you know, seven, eight hundred events or whatever it was. He's he's WD just once in his career. He, this guy was tenacious. Uh, but you know, you go back and you watch the way he and Jack Nicholas went back and forth, um, and the the class that they both exhibited. Um, Forget about the great golf, just the class. I mean, it really is what golf is all about. Yeah. And and he and, well, you'd say Lee Trevino, too. Or the, they proved to be the greatest foils for the man who had the greatest career of all time. So, yeah. you know, they authored the greatest back and forth between Jack and a competitor that we will have ever seen. Nobody came forth and did that to Tiger. Um, you know, Sneed and Nelson kind of did it with Hogan. But it was nowhere near what Nicholas and Watson and Trevino right. gave us. So... Um, it's, uh, the end of an era, so to speak, but he's not going to go away. He'll, he'll be around. We'll, we'll, uh, I'm doing an event with Tom Watson later this year where I get to sit down and interview him. And, um, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. He'll rise to your challenge of, uh, you know, a deep look into the game because I think he loves that. Yeah. He's a, he's a smart man, really smart man. Yeah. And briskly played the game resiliently and so I thought, uh, poignantly, uh, when he had difficult times. He just endured him, whether it was putting bad or losing in 2009. 
I just admired him so much for his character. Yeah, I mean, his comments after the 2009 Open Championship was something along the lines of, you know, this this wasn't a funeral. Right, you I was know, there. Yeah. I, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it was, you know, the whole world was pulling for him. It was, uh, you know, I mean, you can still say that at 59 years of age, nobody beat him in 72 holes at a major championship. Uh you know, it, it's funny. We're sitting in this room, the old room for the I morning drive, and that, there's yeah. various books on the shelves around here. And, um, you know, they, as decoration, they have this book, The Timeless Swing, Tom Watson with Nick Seitz. And, uh, you know, I mean, look, I mean, people always ask me, you know, what's the best golf book? You know, it's like, I don't know, but you'd be hard-pressed to find a better one than this. You know, and, and there he, he talks very simply about swing thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, he uses players to illustrate the ideas that you know in here he says and no one would ever guess this but I I actually wrote about this in my book was that Tom Watson tried to emulate the swing of Sam Snead now did it look like Sam Snead not at all Um, but that was the thought he had when his golf swing got off and and that's the whole I, I think that's what people miss about people love to say that you know swing your swing everybody's got a different swing and well, that's true. I mean, they may look differently, but Tom was trying to swing long and fluid and syrupy, and his swing was long. It may not have been syrupy, but mm-hmm. that's more a result of his personality. Um, he's an up-tempo guy, and Sam Snead was a low-tempo guy. But they both had long golf swings. So, you know, when you start talking about commonalities that endure, even Jack Nicholas and Tom Watson were sitting on the set at the Masters, it was three years ago, and and they were both talking. It was a great segment. I actually clipped it off and saved it. They were both talking about why their careers endured, and, and they both said because of the lengths of their golf swing. So, uh, you know, I, I'd never heard players say long swing, long career. It was something I certainly said, wrote about until that moment. And since then, if you've listened to Phil Mickelson this year, when he's been asked why his careers endured, He'll say long swing, long career. And and that's pretty much held true. So when I look at players come along on tour with short golf swings and fast golf swings, and there's a few of them that are successful, I think, well, you, you better make your money, you know, why you can. And they can now. They can make a lot of money. But th- it's going to be problematic when you get in your 40s. And by the way, just to recommend that book, I know Nick Seitz well. He was a great mentor of mine. And he always said he did several books with well three books with Watson and Watson was a very careful proofreader very exacting about the language <laughs> he didn't mail it in at all like no. you wouldn't expect and that book tells yeah. it'll it'll it's a timeless uh, you know swing yeah. but it's also probably a timeless book well I had uh, Tom was nice enough to write the forward for my book wow. and uh, when I talked to Tom about it he, you know I mean I could tell he read every word of my book and you know I could you know, it was it was a very thoughtful forward that he mm-hmm. wrote for my book, and I, I greatly appreciated it. Uh, you know, listen, nobody's going to say Tom Watson has the most beautiful golf swing in the history of the game, but for functionality, I would yeah. argue it's one of the most beautiful because you know he did all the right things. You know, a full big turn of his hips, a uh, big turn of his shoulders, great sequencing and transition. Never off balance, especially as he never, got older. Just never. Every Tell me when you saw him mm-hmm. lean hard to the right. left or right after a finish to sort of coerce a golf ball back or he was out of balance. Can't no, think not, of it. Yeah. not at all. No body language. Even yeah. even standing behind him watching him hit balls the other morning, he was, you know, here he is so, you know, right at 70 years of age. You know, he warms up with a three iron. I'd always heard that. I'd actually never true. seen him do yeah. it. Yeah. 
So he stretched for about five minutes off to the side, and then, you know, he grabs a three iron. And his first shot was clipped right off this hard turf. <laughs> you know, it, it might not have gone 220 because it was his first swing of the day with a three iron. He's a 70-year-old man, but he clipped it off perfectly, and it, it flew beautifully. And then he hit about 15 three irons just to get warmed up. And he clipped every one of them off perfectly. He didn't hit them fat or hook them or push them. Or, and, and there was such a beautiful rhythm and footwork and balance and, you know, none of this, you know, um, tension. Um, he stayed in motion. And it was, uh, it was absolutely gorgeous. I mean, that is the height of golf, watching him hit golf balls. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine at 70 years old, you, it would have been like standing behind Hogan mm-hmm. at, at 70. I mean, that, that was the impression I got. And I felt like, here I am. I've, I've qualified for this event. And unless I win it, this will be the highlight of the week for That's me, great. is watching easily one of the top 10 players of all time do what the rest of the world would give their eye tooth to be able to do, and which is swing the club and own see it. See that sight again? Not at an open. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tremendous. And just very quickly, uh, Bernhard Langer wins this thing at 61 years old and looked like he was losing a little steam, mm. and yet he put it together beautifully. And you were in that arena, and I just wonder what you thought of that performance and what it is special <clears> about him. Well, there is a saying as you get older to not let that old man in. You know, don't let that old man in. And he has a very youthful cadence to his walk, upbeat tempo to his demeanor, uh, an optimism that pervades his every step. And and he hasn't let the old man in. I mean, you watch him; he's out there. He, he's he he's still. If you just if you just cropped him off at the shoulders and said, "Whose body does that belong to?" You would choose a thirty-year-old person and say, "Perhaps that." You know, he still dresses young, and he looks young. He's fit. Um, and and because he's fit, he's still got some pop. Um, and he, you know, when I played, um, I played at the Principal Charity Classic. It followed the Senior PGA Championship. It followed Colonial for me. I was calling Colonial. I flew up to the Principal Charity Classic on Monday morning, bright and early. I got in there very early, and it was pouring down rain. Now, the, the PGA had finished, the Senior PGA had finished at Oak Hill the day before, I was pulling into the parking lot. There was a fellow on the range hitting golf balls in the rain. It was 8.30 in the morning, and it was Bernard Langer. Now, you wonder why he wins? Um, you know, he, obviously he's got the talent, but he still has the, uh, the motivation to get out there and get after it. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's, he's stretched the – one of the reasons I, I want to go play is because I look at how well he's playing at 61 years say, of age, and I think, you gotta okay. you got to be able to identify with that. It yeah. used to be that the, you know, the games fell off at 55, 56 precipitously. Not anymore. You know, he stretched that. Jay Haas stretched that. Um, so, you know, stay fit, you know, stay optimistic, and, uh, you know, you can, you, can, you can play this game another year or two. Don't let the old man in. Don't let the old man in. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna yeah. live by that. Or it might be a little late, but I'm. <laughs> you can kick him out if he's in there. <laughs> well, okay. You just kick him Thank out. You. Well, wonderful. Let's let's transition a little. You know, uh, we were all at Port Rush. In fact, I admired so much what you did in qualifying because you worked a full week at Port Rush, and it was not an easy week. <laughs> no, it was the majors are they're, they're long days. So, more credit to you. But um, that was the last major of the decade. And so right. let's look at this decade retrospectively. Um, what do you think we learned we will, we will sort of label this decade 
uh, in terms of its importance, its character going yeah. forward? I would say, you know, the decade, it's, it's, it's like Tiger's progeny is what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all of these players that grew up watching Tiger. So they were, you know, they're, it was the youngest, fittest, fastest decade of golfers the game has ever seen. Uh, the game had never seen leaner golfers. I mean, every single one of them. You think of who won majors in this decade, um, you know, from DJ to Rory to Jason Day. You go down the list, and it's, it's, um, it's, it's a pretty lean and mean decade. Um, no real dominant player over this decade. I think the biggest shock of this decade is that Tiger only won one major. No one could have foreseen all of the calamities that uh, that hobbled Tiger Woods. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest shock, and probably the most consistent player of the decade um, was Dustin Johnson, who run at, he won every single year, but also a bit of a surprise that he only won one major championship. Um, unprecedented youthful accomplishment in this decade, which again owes um, a little debt of gratitude to Tiger, um, Tiger's influence. So you had players like Rory and Spieth and Rahm uh, and and now then Matt Wolf and Morikawa um, have come along. But uh, you have to go back to the 70s to find as accomplished group of players 25 years of age mm-hmm. and under that we saw in this past decade. You know, it struck me that as good as these, these guys were, and maybe we were spoiled by Tiger's incredible sustained uh, excellence in the 2000s especially, but these guys did not sustain when they got to number one to the same level. And I wonder what you think the factors were that. Were we just overrating them? They weren't quite that good or maybe not quite as hungry or was the depth uh, you know, conspiring against them? What, what's your thought about, or should we just feel like they, they well, sustained at the normal level? Well, I think this, as much as the decade was you know uh, a decade of players who grew up watching Tiger and were inspired by Tiger, and, and I think they learned to some extent uh, from Tiger, but they also sort of fell victim to the things that beset Tiger, which was the constant need of change, um, always in a state of flux. Um, you know, Tiger did it, and I guess you could argue that he did it successfully, um, but he did it at the cost of time. You know couple of years between swing changes at least three times and a huge cost on his body which ultimately cost him breaking Jack Nicklaus's record I you know if he goes on to break Jack Nicklaus's record you know I you know my cap is off to him but it certainly doesn't look like he's going to but it no doubt he would have if he hadn't wasted years changing his golf swing to only then arrive back at where he was in the first place uh, so you have uh, incessant tinkerers in this decade, you know, and they're surrounded by people who have a job to leave their thumbprint, so to speak, on these players, and they're and they're they're turning their games over to these teachers, and so you've seen, you know, you see bodies change, you've seen swings change, and you've seen disappearing acts, the likes of which I don't think you could find. You know, epidemic of players just disappearing. I, I said yesterday in a, a, a conference call with Paul Azinger, it's like David Copperfield just, you know, he <laughs> jerked the blanket away and, you know, these guys just disappeared. You know, Anthony Kim, where did he go? Where did, where did uh, Nick Watney go? Where did Luke Donald go? Where did Hunter Mahan go? Um, 
Where did Michelle Wee go? Where did Johnny Sen go? Where did Lydia Ko go? Um, you know, it's just in the middle of their career, not at the end of their career. Mm-hmm. Uh, these, these, these are young men and women in the primes of their career. Everything stretching out before them, and they're just poof gone. And that's just a few. I mean, you know, there's there's yes. twenty, thirty of them that mm-hmm. should have been achieving great things at twenty-seven, eight, nine, thirty, thirty-one, thirty-two, and they're just gone. So you know, it comes with some risk. And Tiger made it look pretty simple, but um, it uh, more times than not, it can prove fatal to careers. Interesting. Do you factor in at all, perhaps, the human nature to be satisfied because there is so much lucre out there now? Uh, and for those who maybe didn't love the game or have that fire like a Langer did or Watson did or Tiger did for that matter, uh, just hard to sustain what it takes. I, think, I mean, maybe there'll, you know, there'll be people that, that learn from it. Certainly there's that. There's a lot of money, and you're surrounded by, again, you, you can afford to surround yourself with people. Well, all those people have a job. You know, your, your, your fitness instructor is going to want his time. Your your uh, mental coach is going to want his or her time, and um, you know your swing coach is going to want his or her time, and your manager is going to want his or her time, and your nutritionist is going to want his or her <laughs> time, and so you, you know you end up with a very condensed schedule, but you end up taking advice, and there's nothing against taking advice, but it comes at some risk because as a golfer, you you really do have to protect your confidence, and it may not be the the best thing for for your overall well-being as a person but as an athlete you have to believe in yourself to an almost um, uncomfortable um, inconvenient way you have to think you know I'm the genius here I'm the one doing this you I'll tell you what you need to look at and what you need to pay attention to don't you tell me what's wrong with my golf swing Um, and there's a timidity I think that comes from that you know you think about the arrogance that Lee Trevino played golf with, or Tom Watson played golf with, or Johnny Miller played golf with, or Lanny Watkins played golf <laughs> with, and um, there was a tremendous arrogance with the way they played golf. Now, were their golf swings as perfect as Hunter Mahan's or Anthony Kim's or, or Adam Scott's, Nick Watney's? No, no, not at all. Those were all they were all aesthetically better golf swings, but they're missing the arrogance, and and that arrogance will sustain you. Um, as as an athlete um it doesn't have to be perfect you know these these guys and they, you know people think i'm i criticize the golfers i'm not i'm i'm i am for the golfer i believe in the genius of adam scott and hunter mahan and nick watney and i believe in that genius i i, I believe they're the ones that created all that they're the ones that can hit the shots and if they're left alone for the most part they'll continue on doing what they do which is playing great golf because they have in their hands, in their head, the ability to do things that the person standing behind them could never do and will never do. And, and, and turning your talent over to somebody else's ideas is a very dangerous proposition. Well said. You know, another things, other things that I thought happened in this decade were discernibly lower scores. Now, maybe every, yeah. every decade has slightly lower scores, but they, they started to look kind of radically different when – especially with the style of play being, you know, very much aggressive and power-oriented. When guys like that get hot, and the putters now mm-hmm. seem to be making a higher percentage from, from farther range. Uh, it used to be 50% from 6 feet. Now it's 50% from 8 feet. It's a big difference. 
and it just seems like the way the style of play is melding with the agronomy and with you know the the, the idea that uh, length is just so important it seems that it started a whole new style and you mentioned Matthew Wolf and 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 Colin Morikawa um, is there something in that that you feel like we're looking at a different era of golf in terms of style yeah I mean a lot has happened you know the mm -hmm. equipment has allowed uh, players to hit the ball much much further um, and to some extent you know you could argue that you know the 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 physique or the athleticism of of the players that the game attracts now um, brings about a faster golfer you know so you put those two together with great agronomy, and you're going to get lower scores. There's just no, no, no two ways about it. Uh, the, the, the unfortunate thing, look, I, if I were in the equipment business, I would try to make a driver that went further. Uh, in the ball business, I'd be making a ball that goes further. That's what you're, that's that's capitalism, um, and this is why we need bifurcation. Um, and I was a proponent of bifurcation eons ago, and I still am. Um, I wasn't ne necessarily in favor of rolling the golf ball back for everybody, and that's why bifurcation makes sense. If you can bifurcate the rules, and then we could appropriately give all of the respect to the athlete, because you can't tell now to what extent there are better golfers, mm -hmm. or is it just better equipment? It certainly, it's better agronomy is why they're making more putts. I have no doubt about that. Um, greens are much, much better. But we don't know if they're better players or not. I mean, they look like they're they're better. Yeah, they're better athlete or not. I shouldn't say better athletes. They're fitter. They're taller and they're fitter. But I don't know that they're better athletes. You know, we can't accurately seed that ground to them because we don't know. Mm -hmm. They're they're hitting golf balls fifty yards further. Well, so. anecdotally, you talk to old players. They played a lot of sports and they were pretty darn good they and played at a higher good. level pretty darn of good. other sports than today's players. Pretty do. darn good. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, I mean, I it, yeah, we we erroneously say better athletes. I guess we need to you know more accurately say, look, they're taller and leaner now, and which stands to reason they should be able to move faster. Um, you know, but. But that doesn't necessarily make them better golfers. What's sad about this era is that the correlation to success between distance uh, and success is much, much greater, and the correlation of accuracy to success is much, much less. And that is a shame. The game is much impoverished because of that, much impoverished. Um, people will talk about how Brooks Kepka plays fast. Yeah, he does, because he doesn't have to work around things, and he doesn't have to worry so much about landing angles and what's going to happen once this ball hits the ground roll the ball back 30 yards and he won't play as fast because he'll have to consider how to get around obstacles that Instead he can now over. fly yeah. he'll have to consider the the landing area much in much greater detail i mean the game will slow him down then he's not slowed down you know he plays like john daly did fast because john daly didn't have to think about much there are, you know, there are a few long hitters that don't play particularly fast. But, I mean, when you're flying things, you don't really have to give them the consideration that players that have to work it around them do. Um, you know, the game should be more about what goes on between your ears than how far you hit it. Um, it's what made Tiger great, you know, and it's what made Jack great. It's what made Hogan great, you know. The idea of Hogan standing there trying to work a shot out is one of the most enduring yes. legacies in the game of golf. It's a thoughtful game. The idea of Jack 
kneeling down behind a, a putt with his index finger on his chin and and he's you know he's just staring blankly out at you know or not blankly intently out at the green trying to figure things out and not looking at a green reading book that's an enduring legacy you know green reading books should be they shouldn't be allowed lines on golf balls shouldn't be allowed uh, stuff impoverishes the game. The game is a thinking man's game. It's it's why people play chess and they don't play checkers. It's why people play you know gin and they don't play tic tac toe. <laughs> you know, uh, it's a thinking man's game. Why do CEOs want to play golf? Because it's a it's a thinking man. It's it, thinking man or woman, I should say. Game. It's 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 cognitive, mm-hmm. and it's athletic too. But it's. It's meant to be cognitive. It's meant to be this puzzle that you're trying to solve. If you can solve all the problems of the game by carrying the, the obstacles that thoughtful architects put in front of you, well, then you're really not playing the game that the architect spent a lifetime studying and tried to design something for you to challenge you. It's a, it's a thinking man's game, man and woman's game. It's a thinking game. And... Um, you know that that's 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 been lost, and and bifurcating the rules would restore the equilibrium of the game. Thank you. Um, Gary Williams told me not to say thank you <laughs> <laughs> to your answers. So I get a fine now. He'll get me back when I see him. Now. You don't want to get on Gary's bad side. <laughs> no, well, he, he's my mentor in many ways, so it's a good lesson. He's a good mentor. He is a good one. Yes. Um, you know, it's interesting. You're, you're, you're talking about a game that's not necessarily better than it used to be. And as much as, you know, the the conventional wisdom and certainly what the, you know, the institutions would have you. Believe, no, I would not say the game's better. Y- yeah. No, I mean, there, we have we have we have golfers that are great that appeal to their audience. I mean, we have very appealing golfers, men and women's tours. Very appealing. I mean, they're, they're sharp. They're good with the crowds. They're good on social media. They're terrific. But the game itself is not better. Um, golf is not better. Um, you know, the game itself is impoverished. Um, there's, there's just no two ways about it. Teaching is not better. Um, teaching has impoverished the game. And, and it, could, it could be cleaned up. I mean, the industry itself could clean that up. Um, it's time to accurately and objectively, um, you know, try to find out... Um, what's wrong with the game at the professional level and the teaching level. And they can, they can clean that up. Thank you. Oops, I did it again. Uh, I wanted to, you know, use this sort of assessment of the decade and your pronouncement, which I happen to agree with, that the game has been diminished slightly, to kind of rank this decade in terms of previous decades. Uh, and we're, and in my thought, you know, there's, you can use whatever criteria you want, but, you know, what, in that decade, who were the dominant players? What were the great rivalries? Was there a more interesting style of play, which you, you presented beautifully about the game being a thoughtful game? And it is an indelible image. I mean, even watching Trevino, who played very fast, you always saw the wheels turn. He was thinking it out all the time, and there was a lot to think out the type of game he played. Well, I've, I've always maintained that a player knows within seconds of getting to a golf ball mm-hmm. what the club is and what shot to hit. Within seconds, you know it. You can walk up and read the lie. Within seconds, you you know what to do. And Lee Trevino did that. But, I mean, he was thinking. Right. 
he was thinking about the right shot. I mean, it's there's a great video that has been posted on social media of him sizing up the shot on the 12th hole at Augusta National, 1974. It wasn't 74 because he didn't play in 74. Talking about with Herman. But it, I think it was maybe yeah. 75. Yeah. No, he didn't. He, he, was, he was standing watching the player hit the shot into the 11th green because obviously he didn't want to be over the shot on 12 and he, you know have applause interrupt his shot. So he turned around and watched the shot. You could see his eyes go up. He's looking up, and he's looking at the green on 11. And, and then as soon as the shot lands, he turns around and, you know, he, he spit on his glove as he did, you know, rubbed his hands together, pulled a club out, and then went over and the pin was just over the bunker uh, on 12 and he cut a seven iron in there a foot away. And the whole thing from watching another player hit to hitting the shot was, I don't know, 25, 30 seconds or something like that. But it was beautiful. But you could tell he was thinking about what everything shot Everything purposeful. Yeah. I love how you've described in the past everything that a great player does is part of why he's better. You know, it all adds up. And it, it when you all, see something like that, it's yeah. a microcosm of the whole thing. Yeah. Well, everything, yeah. you know, I, I've maintained that every everything any player is doing is because they think it will make them better. If The way they're answering questions, the way they're walking, the way they're talking, the way they're dressing, the way they're dealing with the media, the crowd, whatever it is, they do it because they think it will make them play better. Well, let me go to this uh, unofficial ranking that I was okay. thinking that you could participate in. But I sort of, let's go back to the 50s. And I had him in order the 70s for the reasons that you just mentioned with Jack and, and Trevino and, and Watson. All They were all in their prime. You had Blair and, and uh, Miller as well. A little bit of Seve. And then I'd go to the 2000s because Tiger was just so overwhelmingly good. And you did have Phil. Talking about the best decades the in best golf. The best decades in golf. Best decades in golf. I'd be hard-pressed to argue with the 70s. You know, and, and a lot of that was because of Jack's dominant play in the 70s. He played, there, he played every single major in the 70s, and he finished outside the top 10, I think, in four or five of them. Five, actually, I think. Um, and he had legitimate rivals, you know, in Lee Trevino and Tom Watson arise. Even Seve Ballesteros yes. to some extent, and Johnny Miller to some extent, and Tom Weiskopf to some extent. So he had a handful of rivals, but and Ray Floyd to some extent. Yes. So he had a handful Sorry. of rivals so, show up, and, and, yeah. and uh, mm -hmm. he... Um, you know, it's just the way Jack handled himself. He said to Lee Trevino, you know, at some point, I want your best game. Yeah. You know, he said to Tom Watson, this is what it's all about. Yeah. Um, I think he might have said something similar to Ray Floyd. I want your best game. You know, uh, there was there was a, a, a great camaraderie in the 70s. And um, we got to watch the greatest career in the history of the game sort of you know the it wasn't the finishing touches i guess he put the finishing touches in the 80s on that but it was it was even better than his decade of the 60s mm -hmm. and because of the equipment and the distance the ball went it was a more interesting game uh, I, I, I i think would, so i would posit i yeah. I, I, I would absolutely agree mm -hmm. with that you know the game is 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 much much more about power now and and it was about power then but they still had to think. Yeah. And um, you still had to hit it somewhat straighter. Well, if you hit it a little on the toe, yeah. you you would hit a snap hook. If you hit it a little on the heel, it would fall out of the air. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't go anywhere. So you had to pay attention. You know, um, you hit it a little on the toe now, the ball might go further. Mm -hmm. It's not going to snap hook. Um, you hit it a little on the heel, it's, it's still going to go, you know, really far. It's not going to fall out of the air. I mean, the equipment is great. That's why they should bifurcate. And then... 
I followed with the 60s uh, with Arnold and Jack and Gary, obviously, and, and Billy Casper, who was underrated. I put the 2010s fourth, followed by the 80s, the 90s, and the 50s. I think you're being generous to the 2010s. Well, I think it was, probably, guys. No. it was probably one of the worst decades of golf. Um, you know, look, it was great from the standpoint of, of we got a lot of young stars, and they're magnetic stars, you know, but no real great rivalry. Um, Tigers, you know, dilemmas were certainly a blight on this decade um no star sustained the entire decade um the game changed for the worse um you know the, the same is true on the lpga tour you know um stars came and went um mb park probably the biggest star yanni sen should have been michelle we should have been lydia ko should have sustained um, the same sort of problems that exist on the PGA Tour certainly exist on the LPGA Tour. Um, and, and, you know, maybe it was a, sort of a, a growing stage for the tour. Maybe, they, you know, players would have learned, younger players would have learned what, what mistakes they made and, and, and not to make them. I think eventually it'll come full circle back around where the athlete will go, you know, I'm going I'm to figure this out uh, on, on my own. And, you know, teaching you know, and not to diminish teaching or caddying. They're very important roles, uh, and, a, and a good caddy is worth his weight in gold, and a good teacher is, is worth every penny you pay them. But, you, should, you know, the, the golfer should never lose sight of the fact that their confidence, their, their 100% belief in their ability is more important than a great golf swing because they can make a bad golf swing work. A lack of confidence cannot make a great golf swing work. That's well said. You know? Yeah. I love how you uh, really highlighted athletic arrogance and how important mm -hmm. that is to a great athlete. Uh, and, 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 you know, let's, let's stop this great, very provocative discussion, and we'll go to the next podcast. Our subject will be one of the antidotes to what you're talking about, which is perhaps bifurcation, something that addresses distance, because that seems to be at the root mm -hmm. of what is causing the new style of play and perhaps the, the way that players look at their careers look as well. Forward, look forward to it. Enjoyed it. Thank Ryan. you very much, Randall, as always. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.